Hi, Greg Perry, the historic preservationist. Um, back talking about brick making. Really honest, down to earth, very specific. Um, today we're going to talk about brick making and burning. And we're going to include in this episode the difference in burning dry pressed and soft tempered clay brick. The theory of you uniting particles of clay in a body to make a brick or for other purposes, and perfect dry pressed brick, which depends on the condition of the clay, and also a quick chat about the proper way to set a brick in, in a kiln for burning. Okay, so let's get started here. Um, so as we recently said that brick, a brick properly made of dry pressed clay are highly superior to those to made of soft tempered clay. I stated how dry press brick should be made, and my statement was not based upon theory, but upon actual and successful experiment at different times and places, and in different clays. At one place, I had charge, and, um, and I actually operated a brick press machine and made 20-some bricks per day, but also the tempered clay, this is using tempered clay, and that incurs molding by hand. So you set and burn both kinds of brick in the same kiln, about half of each, and found that the dry pressed brick dried, quote, dried off slower than the mud brick. And the fire was slower in getting out at the top. But after fires were, quote, up, fires were done, the dry pressed brick burned out faster than the mud brick and were ready to be closed up, another term used, closed up, sooner, though, fired the same way, but slower than the first 36 hours. Those bricks were made in, you know, in, a, large, uh, in a large kiln. And some of the people that were there that day, the officer in charge, um, inspected some of these, which I was overseeing, inspected some of these kilns, which was very thoroughly burned. And though um, prejudiced against dry pressed brick, after a flare and full test pronounced the dry pressed brick superior to the mud brick. This uh, brickyard, in, uh, which is actually, these were test run uh, bricks that were privy to in the state of Mississippi. And this is going back to 1856 and 1860. And uh, so, and also in, in the Pencil uh, Bay, Florida, the concern was making brick for the U.S. government. And this is going back into the 1850s under a contract which was made down there for some six, 65 million brick to be used, chiefly for building of Fort Jefferson, dry Torgas in the Gulf of Mexico. And the company at first made brick all together by hand. 40,000 bricks per day was the output, all by hand. And now we're going back to 1868. And then in addition, um, in the dry press machine, which turned out an average of 33,000 bricks per day. So carrying the brick into kilns uh, was, was carried out on belts, and then they were tossed to the setters who at the same time made about 25,000 brick per day by hand. So we have three different methodologies as far back as 1850, 1860, making bricks in a factory.
So all the bricks went into the same kind of kilns. So uh, whether it was the bench-made or the, uh, the machine-made bricks. So what, what was found was that the same results in the burning and character of the brick as experienced before. The clay in both these cases would not melt or shrink in burning, even with fine, light wood fires, which with a good drought is as hot as any smelting furnace. The dry press bricks were tested at Fort Jefferson and carried 50% more pressure than the best mud brick or the best samples that could be found. We found that it was made and burned of dry pressed brick in seven different places. In two, the clay would either would neither fuse nor shrink in burning. In the other five places of testing, um, the clay would fuse and settle in burning from four to eight inches and took twenty about twenty percent less wood or coal than the infusible clays. So let's talk about the theory of uniting particles of clay in a body, which we're going to, a body, or in this term, we're talking about a brick. A brick made of soft plastic clay contains about 20 to 25% of water and weight. If the clay is strong or pure and thoroughly tempered, it will absorb about 30% of its weight in water when tempered soft enough for easy hand molding. It is evident, then, that the particles of clay, which are infinitesimally small, are surrounded by water to a certain extent, so that when a soft brick begins to get dry, a partial process of crystallization of the clay begins on the surface. And as evaporation goes on, the crystallization or cohesive attraction increases until the brick is hard enough to handle or nominally dry though theoretically still damp. If we take such a brick and break it and examine it, we find that the particles of clay cohered in sharp edged crystals, but pointed at their angles so as to allow the water to escape and leave one compact body but full of pores. We call this a solid dry brick. Now, if we take a brick of this kind and put it in a die, and apply one or two tons of pressure. It is crushed if the pressure is increased to 10 tons. The particles of clay begin to assume their natural position of cohesion. And as the pressure is increased, cohesion follows in the same ratio until it becomes perfect. And the brick that a moment before was crushed in a disjointed mass of broken crystals has now become one perfectly dense solid body of clay without a single pore unless made by confined air. A perfect dry pressed brick, well burned, will absorb but very little water than a stone and is about 16% heavier than a mud brick of the same size. So let's talk about the making of a perfect dry pressed brick. Depends on the condition of the clay. So we hear that semi-dry pressed brick, the well-informed brickmaker would call that by its right name, which is, quote, stiff mud, and poorly tempered because it is impossible to make clay plastic 
or compel it to compare like well well-tempered soft clay by any process or the discretion or co-mixing. So semi-dry clay, as very damp clay is called, cannot crystallize. It is not sufficiently wet, commuted in plastic. It cannot be perfectly cohered by pressure because the presence of a considerable amount of water intervening between the particles of clay prevent perfect cohesion. The natural dryness of clay is the right condition. If clay can be spread out in the hot sun until it appears perfectly dry, it still retains a certain amount of water. And if perfectly pulverized, may be pressed into a solid body. But the moisture is not properly equalized until sun-dried clay has at least a week packed under a shed. Then it becomes pulverized and easily yields to the action of machinery when properly constructed. And a comparatively solid body is made, much more tenacious, hard, and strong, and less liable to warp or fuse by heat than if molded or tempered plastic clay. I know of a clay um, that has been worked in, in a manufacturing process, you know, somewhere in the 1870s in uh, in northern city in, in America that they tried every possible way in, at a quite great expense to make floor tile to compete with the celebrated Menton English tile out of tempered moldable clay but failed at every experiment. At length, finding they could not get the secret from the English manufacturers. They were about to abandon the effort to accomplish the enterprise. Just then, they accidentally got one of the uh, a circular that was passed on by the English manufacturers, and which they began to put in operation on an experimental situation in Baltimore. They then began by pulverizing their clay thoroughly, by means of proper dyes and pressure, succeeding in making a first-rate floor tile. Everyone was true, straight, and of uniform size, and hard as steel. I, you know, I found it hard to know, and, and it was hard to mention how the tile was made. And long after um, the, uh, the theories and the secrets came out, here is some of the theory that, uh, that we've come up with. Dry pressed clay will stand fire much better than tempered clay. In the kilns that have been burned both mud and dry pressed brick, what happens is the overhangers or the arches of the dry pressed brick, perfectly sound and solid, while those of the mud or semi-mud brick were cracked and easily broken. So what happens is the dry pressed overhangers over and over 10 times for overhangers in the mud brick part of the kilns. The reason for the difference is, is that the dry pressed brick, being more dense than a mud pressed brick, does not heat so fast or cool off so fast. What constitutes a good fire brick is its ability to stand sudden temperatures of heat and atmospheric changes without fracture as well as to stand intense heat. So let's continue on here with the, the proper way to set brick in a kiln for burning. The proper way, location, um, the uh, location on which axis the brick is to stand and sit. So 
let's talk. So there's so many different kilns and ideas connected with this type of business of making bricks. It is not easily to make any one choice of which is right. The main thing involved is the question of kilns, is economy and labor and fuel. Quality is not a factor of any importance in the construction of a brick kiln. A perfect brick can be burned in an old-fashioned, cased-up kiln. The great art and secret is the setting and burning. No kind of a kiln will turn out a perfect brick without these capabilities and conditions. We had just as well try to make a forge that would temper steel without the hand and eye of an expert. Bricks should be set in a kiln so as to get the best draft and combustion of fuel. Leave the least fire marks on the brick and get the best distribution and equalization of heat. To do all this now, for instance, can be done in an old style kiln. So one with the walls 25 feet apart inside, they'll be at least three feet thick at the bottom and tapered on the outside to 18 inches on top. So if the clay stands the fire well, then the furnaces will allow a bench for overhangers five bricks wide. If the clay fuses easily, it will make the benches four bricks wide. Having the kiln ready for setting, you want is to set the brick in a zigzag or skintling pattern. So as the, the two brick are set on edge, one half an inch apart, one brick set on two would cross over them diagonally so as to rest on the outer corners of the lower brick. The div divergence of parallels of upper and lower course would be, as a rule, one half the thickness of the brick. I will set this bench five bricks high and set them to average about an inch apart. Then start the overhangers and set them in the same as the benches. The first binder over the closing of the overhangers will set so close as to spread the fire. All other binders will set loose. Now put on the cross, running course, loose, and I will start these cross courses as if I want solid, even colors on the edges of the brick. I will set the two courses in the same way of the brick over brick all the time before you, you should cross them, thus preventing fire marks except when the courses are reversed. I will thus proceed up to the top of the kiln and then put the burned salmon brick, if on hand or not, will use these as unburned bricks. The plating should be laid flat and about a half inch apart so as to leave the draft and escape the, the water smoke. So in, in all this, I think everybody that is interested in bricks to this microscopic level or as far as burning or how you put them in kilns, how you build the kilns and the, the, the type of compression the brick is going under before it goes in the kiln. There's a, a ton of terms here that um, everyone needs to, to bone up on. And possibly if we have enough um, individuals writing us, we'll just possibly do an episode on definitions of old brickwork, probably dating from the, the 1750s up until the 1850s. So that could be uh, something we do in the future. But for now, thanks everyone for listening about uh, brick making and burning and uh, getting very deep into it here. 
and you know this time talking about how it began in a manufacturing process in large companies somewhere around 1850-1858 in America. Greg Perry signing out. Thanks for listening.